As we think about Christmas, I think we uh, often think about a couple of things, uh, and those would be joy, the joy of Christmas and, and kind of peace on earth, this, this idea of shalom. And, and we, we long for this joy of Christmas. And, and I think uh, if we're honest, sometimes we, 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 we see that we know kind of, we, we know this joy of Christmas to varying degrees. Sometimes we feel it really acutely. Sometimes we're kind of wondering about kind of trying to find it. And so today I want us to kind of really think on that and, and think about the key to uh, knowing the joy of Christmas. Last week, we looked at Mary's song, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This song was called the, it's called the Magnificat, if you like words like that. Um, throughout these, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're looking at what we're calling Messiah songs. Not that we made that up, but uh, that's what we're falling in line with calling them. They're different songs in response to the arrival or the coming of Jesus. So last week we looked at Mary's song as her response after she uh, ha- has been visited by the angel and been told that she will give birth to the Messiah and also that her relative Elizabeth will, will give birth. And she goes to visit Elizabeth and she sees that that's true and she realizes that all that God says is true and she can trust him. And she's like, I'm your servant. So it's just a beautiful picture of, uh, of just... This, this song that, that rested in the promise that was made, the promise that was kept, and the promise that will be kept. And so, but we, we all want this joy of Christmas. When I say joy, I don't necessarily mean that Starbucks is serving their seasonal flavors, um, which, you know, we kind of starts the madness in October with the, with the pumpkin spice latte, or now it's, now it's even got an acronym of just the, the PSL. Did you know that? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's that big. But it's interesting. That, oh, speaking of Starbucks, um, so a couple of you have already heard this story. Um, I was at Starbucks this week, and I was I just wrapped up a meeting. I was about to head in the office, so I text Karen, would you like anything? She's like, yes. So then I get her order. I go to the counter. There's a really tall, just to describe this guy, tall, slender, bald, okay, shiny bald, like just really just guy that catches your eye. I'm 6'2". I looked up to him. I felt like he was like eight foot tall. He's just really tall. And I'm, I'm waiting kind of for my turn. And he says, I'll have a tall snickerdoodle. And I was like, how do you make a cookie tall was my first thought. So it caught my attention. And then I look at him. And my wheels start turning. And Carlos behind the counter looks at me. He's like, what do you want? And I just start giggling like a little kid. And he's like, what? And I get the tall guy's attention. And I'm like, Okay, do I, do I share what's in my head? And if you know me, the answer is most often yes, right? And so I was like, this is what I said to him. I said, um, I'm just thinking of something. And I was like, uh, toss, toss snickerdoodle? He's like, yeah. I said, uh, I imagine that to be your pet name. <laughs> and it just got, I mean, and I love awkward. I love awkward. <laughs> And everybody's face was like nervous, but yet trying to laugh because they, and again, I love awkward. It it was pushing me to my threshold of awkward. And so in my attempt to ease the awkwardness, I said, of course, I would never call you that. (laughs) We've all come to moments when we wish we would not have said something. That was me this week, but yet gave me a good story and I'm happy for it. But Zechariah He's the wife of Elizabeth. He had one of those moments that left, that he wished he would have responded differently. His moment left him silent, possibly even deaf for at least nine months. And this was because of his response coming out of disbelief. We'll come to that in a little bit. Uh, This moment 
It's the moment that his silence was broken that we will see an amazing picture of joy and worship. So it's when he breaks the silence that we will see this amazing response of worship and of joy, which, we were, which we're all longing for. We are. So today as we look at what we're call, what's called Zechariah's song, but as, uh, if we give Mary's song a cool name, the Magnificat, Zechariah's song has a cool name. It's called the Benedictus. And it gets that from uh, the first words in the Latin Vulgate, which is blessed. And so that's, that's, uh, that's why this would be called a benediction. Uh, but we'll see this key to knowing. And I mean really, really knowing, experiencing, tasting, sitting in, being enveloped by the joy of Christmas. So you're probably already in Luke 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some near you underneath the chairs. Feel free to use that. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can have that. We also use the YouVersion Bible app, and we have a live event there that you can go to and find through the more events, and it'll, it'll provide for you uh, the text as well as some questions to help you further study and reflect. But let's look at this song from Zechariah. We're gonna, we, we see it in Luke 1, 67 through 79. I'll give you a second because it's, I mean, these chapters in Luke are long. So I'll give you a second to get there. Luke 1, 67. All right. So Zechariah's silence has just been broken, and this is what he sings. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. God, you are good, Lord, you are a creator, worthy of all, all of our awe and reverence, worthy of our lives because we are yours, Lord, you are holy, Lord, you are good, Lord, you are just, because of all that you are and all that you have created us to be. Lord, we are a people greatly in need, greatly in need of a Savior, greatly in need of redeeming. We are also a people greatly loved, greatly loved by you, our Heavenly Father and our just judge, the one who demands righteousness and satisfies righteousness. As we look at this this song of, of just joyful worship. Lord, let us understand the way to knowing that, abiding in that, living that, breathing that. So we give you this time. 
Lord, I thank you for your word, your truth. There is no power in my words, only in your truth. I pray that the Holy Spirit now would come and catch these words on fire in each of our hearts. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that song is full of joy. And and to think about this morning, it's this call to simplicity. We're kind of hearing over and over and over again. I just want to give us a really simple message this morning. And the, this message is our way to this joy. And you could think that, that Zechariah's happiness is about his son being born. I mean, I was happy the day my kids were born. Nathan, you were happy the day your, your girls were born, right? Pretty safe bet. You would think that, but if you look at it, I mean, the majority of us, not even about a son. There's only two verses about his son. The other verses are about somebody else and about something else. So let's give some quick, some quick background to help us understand and kind of come to this, this song of praise and, and just joyful worship, kind of with the right momentum, the right heart, the right understanding, so that we can see our way to joy, our way to knowing the joy of Christmas. So some background really quick, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Zechariah, as I already said, is married to Elizabeth. They are relative to Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're quite older because Mary is a young teenager. They're old. It says they are old, and it says that they are barren. So they're old. They're married. They're relatives of Mary. They've, they've never been able to have kids. They've wanted kids. And we know that because the angel, when he came to Zechariah, he said, I will grant you, I've heard that the Lord has heard your prayer, and you're going to have a baby. And so, so we see that they have been barren for all these years, but they've never been able to have kids. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are very devout in their faith to the one true God. They are very devout in their faith. They are righteous in the eyes of God. And I'm summarizing all this because really this is all of chapter 1 leading up to verse 67. Um, you can go back and read that for yourself. Uh, but, but they are righteous in the eyes of God. They're faithful. They're devout. They're, I mean, the, Ze- Zechariah, is, he serves faithfully as a priest on behalf of the people of Israel. He serves in the temple. In fact, when, when Gabriel, the angel, comes to see him, he is in the temple doing his duties, burning the incense. And he's doing his duties as he's done, uh, as he's done before, he, he, many times before, as a priest. He may not have always been burning the incense, but he's doing his duties in the temple on behalf of the people as a priest. And the, the, the angel Gabriel comes to him and prophesies that they'll have a son. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about Mary, and her response was pretty bewildered, and she was like, you know, how, how, can, how, how, how can this be? I'm, I'm still a virgin. And we saw the angel spoke and kind of brought her along and revealed to her the full person of God. It's interesting, as we mentioned last week, Zechariah's response was different. It was a question, but he said, how can I know this? And it was more in the, in the vein of, I need you to prove yourself to me. There was a doubt here. We know that, one, just because of the semantics, two, because of the effect. And Gabriel, kind of in this indignant way, said, well, I'm an angel who comes from the presence of the Lord, and I speak for him. Because of your disbelief, you will not speak anymore. And we think probably that he was, he was deaf as well. Um, we see later that he asked uh, that, that he, they were speaking to him in signs, not just him writing on tablets and speaking in signs. So probably was struck Mute, definitely mute, probably deaf as well. And so he's going through this, and he, and, but yet he had received that, his, the, that they would have a son, and not only just that they would have a son, but that his son would be a prophet of God. He would do mighty works for God. He would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so 
Zechariah, he finishes his duties in the temple. Everyone's like, man, obviously something happened in there. And he's, he's kind of writing through tablets and messages, and he's going on. And then he kind of finishes his time, and he goes home. And now he's living in the season of silence. And think about, let's just stop and identify with Zechariah for a minute. Okay, he is a priest. That means his job was to go into the temple on behalf of the people of Israel, representing them to God in order to, to satisfy God's wrath, God's judgment, so that he could atone for them. So he was a pastor. He was a priest. He, he was doing the work of God day in and day out. Now, if you, you may or may not know, this was also a time of silence. There had been no prophet for the people of Israel for 400 years. And in those days, God spoke through the prophets. There had been no word from God for 400 years. So this is a man of God, a priest, that goes into the presence of God on behalf of the people who's been doing this in this, in this era, the season of God's silence. Much like the religious, much like us in, in today. We, I mean, how often do you hear like, is God here? Is God silent? I mean, we talk about these things a lot. And, and thinking about this, about Zechariah, he's a faithful man. And how even in our faithfulness, we can, kind of, we can kind of tuck away these pockets of doubt. And I imagine that as Zechariah, like he's doing his duty faithfully, but kind of like we even said last week with Mary, that he probably, you know, he's, he's got some, he's probably not expecting something to happen in his lifetime. He's old, not many years left. They are, they are a people awaiting the promise to be fulfilled, but yet it's been a long time, generation after generation after generation. They're just holding on. I mean, I think, I think we can identify. And I think we can see that often we go through these motions of, of faithfulness while tucking pockets of doubt away. We see that in Zechariah. We see his response of saying, how can I know this? This isn't possible when all of a sudden it gets real. <laughs> and so there's doubt. And I think we can identify. So now he goes into this time of silence. At least nine months, because Elizabeth wasn't pregnant. It wasn't a miraculous conception. They did what it took to make a baby, and at some point along the way she got pregnant. He's silent through all that. Then goes through the pregnancy, silent. Baby's born. Eight days pass. They come to have John circumcised, and they're standing there, and they're like, hey, what should we name him? Elizabeth and, and, and Zechariah were both told his name should be John. And then and the, and, and Elizabeth speaks, and she says, we're going to name him John. And they were like, no, well, shouldn't his name be his father's name or relative's name? Because that was customary. In the patriarchal time of, of, of these people of Israel, it was the father's right to name the child, and especially the firstborn son would, would most often be the father's name, or at the very least, a family name. And Elizabeth speaks, and the people were like, no, no, that's not right. And they looked to, to, to Zechariah as if, like, you better say something or, do, you know, write something. And they're, like, doing their sign to him. And he gets his tablet, and he says, simply, his name is John. And immediately it says, his mouth was open and he began to speak the truths of God and they were all in all. And you think about what happened to John and to Zechariah in, those, in that time of silence. you got to think, for the first couple of months, it was just like, why, oh why didn't I just say okay? Like, okay, I believe you. Like, it's an angel. Like, 
for, for just a couple months, he's just kind of licking his wounds, you know, why, oh, why, like, tall snickerdoodle, really? You know, I mean, like, like just why? And, and then the silence becomes a gift, because he just can't, he can't just talk about it, he can't distract himself, he just has to sit and watch, and, and, and if he can't listen, but probably just watch a lot, and probably pray a lot, and probably read a lot, and, and just sit in silence. And somewhere along the way, we have to see that, that, that he was broken. He surrendered. We see it first in the fact that he said his name is John. That is surrender. It's a father's right to say his name is Zechariah or his name is some other guy in my family. His name is John. We see the first hint of surrender. And that came through repentance. We see that he's like, I don't know the best. Yes, I have been going through the motions of doing what I'm supposed to do, but yet I had disbelief. I did not believe that God was the creator God that could do whatever he wants. I wanted him to prove himself to me as if I was someone and he answered to me. Somewhere along the way, Zechariah repented of his disbelief. Somewhere along the way, he realized his arrogance. Somewhere along the way, he realized his complacency in just doing the religious things, sincere as they were. Somewhere in that season of silence, in his place of solitude, personal solitude, in that still small voice, he heard God. God revealed himself to him, revealed his promise once again, reminded him of everything that he had been doing and why he had been doing all he had been striving for. was for the promised Messiah to come. And actually, all that he had been longing for has come. Somewhere in that silence, that happened. Do you recognize? We long for so many things in this world. As Katie was telling us earlier, we, we, we just long to attain and to hold on to the things of this world as if they are our, our comfort, our refuge, our validation, our satisfaction. But yet, there is only one who satisfies, only one who is our refuge, only one who can bring peace. So Zechariah has surrendered. He said his name is John. Then the Holy Spirit comes on him. And this, oh my gosh, this word comes to him. And we just read it. And, and, Let's look really quick at the two verses about his son. Those are verses 76 and 67. Speaking of John, his son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation for his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And we see that message proclaimed, which we've already heard today, in Luke 3.3. 3, it says, and, and this is John, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming, and baptizing, uh, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so we see this message that is going to be given to John, that, that Zechariah previews here, this message of preparing the way through repentance. We already heard a great picture of it today in, in our Advent reading with, with Caleb and Rebecca, how this, this work of repentance is the beginning of the journey towards truly knowing the joy of Christmas, which what is the joy of Christmas? It's Jesus. Nothing else than Jesus. 
We want to make this world a better place. Let us participate in tangible ways. But if we are not telling the world that Jesus is its only hope, we are, we are just spinning our wills and toiling day in and day out for nothing. And so repentance is the way to joy. Repentance. And so he previews this message from John. We see this repentance is the, the acknowledging of the error of our ways, acknowledging that we have sinned against God and that he is worthy and holy. <coughs> Excuse me. And that in that repentance, we turn away from our disbelief. We turn away from our sinful pursuits and we pursue righteousness that we've been given in Christ, and then we want to live out expressing our righteousness. And we see that that brings the forgiveness of sins that we see there in 77. So the work of John the Baptist was to give the knowledge of salvation in Christ to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And so we see, if we want to know joy, it begins with repentance, remembering our great need for a Savior. The call to being humbled. The call to just saying, Am I in control in this life? Can I secure this for myself? Can I do this on my own? Self-sovereignty is the greatest sin of all of mankind. It's where it all started with Adam and Eve. They could do it on their own. They knew better than God. They took it into their own hands. So repentance is the beginning of our journey to joy, to our journey to peace. So we see... This other, this other aspect of our joy to, uh, to, to joy, peace in, in, in Christ is belief. It says to give knowledge of the salvation to his people. We see again the, the continuation of this message in another, another gospel that speaks of the ministry of John, John the baptizer, Zechariah's son, in John 1.29. This, this is the disciple John, not the baptizer John. Um, this is what he writes. He's, he's telling of, of uh, John the Baptist. He says, The next day, John the baptizer, he, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, and he said to those who have been following him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So once again, just the entire message of repent and believe. Behold is not just to look, not just look, but, but it is to embrace to believe the Lamb of God, the one who came to give all to satisfy your need. And so, repent and believe. Believe in what? Now we go back here to this verse 69, 68 and 69 in Zechariah's song. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. What is this horn of salvation? And this is key. What is this horn of salvation? It is not the, it is not the instrument horn, which they had those two. This is the weapon horn. In, in 2 Samuel 22.3, we see my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from my violence. This is the horn of the, Lord, of the, the huge oxen. We see that in Micah. We see, it, we see it in Psalm, I think it's 92 as well. But we see this, this horn referred to as a weapon, the horn being made iron so that the enemy of Israel could be struck down. Psalm 18.2, we see again, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. 
we see by the context here that this horn of salvation that he's talking about is, is part of the armor, is part of the weaponry, is part of that, that which is used to deliver the people of Israel. So what is Zechariah praying here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when he says, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So just to be clear, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus here. Jesus came from the house of his servant David. There's, there's prophecy and scripture all throughout that points to that, to that verbiage. He's saying that Jesus, he said he's raised up the one who will win the battle for you once and for all. So believe. Repent and believe. You cannot do it on your own. And there, and this is, it is in this understanding that Zechariah has all of a sudden, all that he has been, he has been pursuing all of his life, remembering <coughs> that he has one Lord God of Israel, the one who promised to redeem his people. Now as we walk through the text, the one who has always been told in, in an unchanging way through the prophets of Israel, and the, the message was always the same, that God in his mighty work and his merciful love would send one to save his people, Israel, from the hand of all that are against them. And he made a promise to his father Abraham that was perpetuated through, through Moses and through David, and it was just over and over again, just reiterated and made clear that I am your God, you are my people. Through me blessing you, you will be a blessing into the entire earth. He is saying this covenant has been remembered by God. Zechariah is, is seeing now once again, he is looking at the fulfilled promise of God in Christ as he says these words in this future fulfillment that he says with absolute certainty because he understands God to be true. And, he's, and, and again, we come back to, to here and it says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before his day, before him all of our days. And we see the motive of God because of the tender mercy, this is in 78, of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So if you want to know the joy of Christmas, it is only through repentance and belief. Repentance and the fact that we have denied that God is a God, that he is creator, he created you, that he is holy, and in his creating of you, he created a right standard, and we all fell short of that. And in his great love, satisfying his justice, he sent his only son, Jesus, for you and for me. Because we could not overcome that great need. We could not overcome that sentence. We could not outrun it. We could not do it on our own. But we fought, we scratched, and we strive to do it on our own. He says, repent of that. God has sent you a deliverer. Repent for thinking that you don't need one. Repent for thinking you could do it on your own. And he says, believe, believe that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior. Believe that God in his divine love made a way for your sin to be overcome, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, and for you to be made whole once again. There is no other joy of Christmas outside of repentance and belief that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. Believe that Jesus is Lord and the horn of our salvation. He came to secure the victory that we could not once and for all. Because in that repentance and belief, you'll find the freedom, hope, and peace that will be the bedrock of your joy this Christmas and every day to come after that. 
I just blew past this verse. But this is the picture of now what? 74 and 75, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So this journey starts with a very personal work of liberation and freedom. But then it continues to this life of, of serving without fear. Because in perfect love there is no fear and God is love. His work is for you. Yes, there are trials in this world. But he has overcome. He has stepped into every need, faced every trial, and overcome. In holiness and righteousness we live before him all of our days. That is the now what. Albeit imperfect, we pursue that. We set our eyes on that. Humbly and boldly. And once again, that last line in verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we will know peace and let us call others in. So as we work to, to know this joy, we repent and we believe, and then we call the world to repent and believe. In great love, in great humility, in great respect, in great patience, but yet with all boldness and courage, we say repent and believe because Jesus is the hope that we all need. There is no other hope. If you're struggling to to fully know this joy, I just encourage you to, to believe in the posture of faith. And I don't, again, don't, don't internalize this to, oh, is my faith lacking because I'm struggling? No, like it's the human experience. That's why it's called faith. There is no faith without doubt. There's no faith without struggle. But yet, believe with the posture of faith. Lean into God. Lean into him. with Ask questions like Mary did with a sincere desire to understand and to believe as if God is the author of truth because he is not in the posture of Zechariah before when he said, prove yourself to me. So, you want to know joy. What do we do? Let's hear it. Repent and believe. Can we say it one more time with a little more? <laughs> so if you want to know joy, we, we. And? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, uh, Lord, that we were in need, and in your great love, you saw our need, and you made a way for us to, to have our need overcome. And that need is the need of death that came through sin, and that overcoming is the gift of life that comes in Christ. So, Lord, help us to repent. Lord, if there are any in this room that need to repent and believe for the first time, I just pray for that courage to just surrender and lay down life and confess that we, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, that in your great love, you have made a way for us to know you in Christ. And Lord, that he is our Savior. So let us believe with our hearts, confess with our mouths that he is Lord. And we, and we know in your scripture that tells us that that is the way to salvation. And I pray for all of us in here. Let us daily be reminded of our need, not in this way that paralyzes us, but in this way that emboldens us to live humbly and purposely in freedom. And to, to know this joy of Christmas that is in Christ alone. So Lord, let us, let us stop. Let us be still. Let us listen. Lord, and we see it as your kindness if you force us there like you did, Zechariah. But Lord, we desire that. So Lord, speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the time of communion we have now. In Jesus' name, amen.